Our first reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 16 to the end of the chapter. It's on page 1007 in the Church Bibles. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And our second reading this morning is from Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11, which is on page 1095. So it's Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from, Jer from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in, Ju and in Judea and, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in, the same way, come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Uh, thanks, Ian. And just say, I'm Tim. Um, I'm out to Alison, who's just there. And we live in Clevedon, which if you've never been to... It's not the ends of the earth. It's quite accessible. So come and see us in Clevedon. And uh, what we're going to do this, this morning is um, look at this, these two passages, Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and think about this whole subject of what's called the Great Commission. So in the Church Bible, at the, the uh, top of the section in Matthew 28, it, it does say the Great Commission. And it's summarized basically in verses 19 to 20 of Matthew 28, which says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I was just going to get into the authorised version mode then, because that's a version I've learnt when I was uh, younger. Now, we're not criticising the US church, but we haven't got any stats about the UK church on this one. But um, there's a group called the Barna Group who did a survey amongst church-going people in the United States. So these people who go to church fairly regularly, asking them about the Great Commission. 17%, said they both knew and understood what the Great Commission was, which means 83% didn't. Now, the exciting thing about this morning is this. We can be in the equivalent of the 17% who do know and understand what the Great Commission is. So that's the aim this, this morning, is to understand what it is to be a church that cares about the Great Commission. And a church that cares about the Great Commission is made up of individuals who care about the Great Commission. So if we get it right individually, then as a church, we will have a great concern for the Great Commission. Now, Coca-Cola, arguably Atlanta-based uh, organization, is arguably the most recognizable brand in the world. And a recent survey says that 97% of people in the world have heard of Coca-Cola, 72% have seen the logo, and 51% have actually tasted Coca-Cola. That's incredible, isn't it? So that one brand is across the whole world. And uh, someone said, if the, the job of the Great Commission was given to Coca-Cola to do, maybe there'd be more people who understand the gospel. Now, as I said, a bit tongue-in-cheek. So if Coca-Cola can have such a reach across the world, does that not put us to, a little bit to shame as Christians? And what we're going to do this morning is look at five reasons why we should care about the Global uh, Commission, or the Great Commission. Five reasons why global outreach should be on our agenda. And those five reasons come out in uh, Matthew 28, and the same five reasons come out in Acts chapter 1. So we're going to look at those five reasons from both passages. Now, it's quite possible that I'll run out of time, and we might have to sort of skim over the last couple, all right? But um, we'll see how we get on. So five reasons why we should care about the Great Commission, why we should take it seriously. So from Matthew 28 and from Acts chapter 1. And the first reason is this. It is the heart of God. It's God's passion. Now, there are 195 countries in the world. There are 7,139 languages, and there are about 17,400 people groups across the world. So our world, our planet, is culturally linguistically, ethnically rich and diverse. But what we see is that there are two phrases, one in Matthew 28, one in Acts 1, which describe the world. One that says all nations, so in Matthew 28 it says all nations, and in Acts chapter 1 it says the end of the earth. 
And those two phrases really encapsulate God's heart for the world. Our God is a missionary God. Our God's desire is to reveal Jesus Christ so that people might believe in him. Our God sent Jesus Christ into the world. And if we can grasp and imitate God's passion, God's heart for the world, then the Great Commission will happen. Now, we could easily spend the whole of today's sermon on this point, and it's really quite exciting. Um, it's really quite thrilling. So, uh, to put it in context, the end of the story is this. The end of the story, and according to Revelation, is in heaven there will be a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's Revelation 7 verse 9. In fact, the last chapter of, of the Bible, Revelation 22, talks about all nations. And so what we have is the end story is this. I'm in heaven... And by one side of me, there's a, a Christian from Afghanistan. And by the other side of me, there's a Christian from Zimbabwe. And all the nations between the A to Zs of the whole world. That is the end story. That is the prospect we are looking forward to. That is God's intention right from the beginning, that heaven will be filled with people from all nations. In fact, God, in the book of Micah, is described as the Lord of the whole earth. So this is the story. So hold on to your seats, okay? So we'll go back to Genesis. So in Genesis chapter 9, the flood has just happened, and we're told this, that um, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah, and it says this, and from these, these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So that's Genesis 9. You come to Genesis 10, it's one of those chapters you think, I'm not going to read that chapter, it's lots of names. But in Genesis 10, you have 70 different nations listed. It's called the Table of Nations. So Genesis 10, from Ham, Shem, and Japheth, you've got 70 nations. So when you come to the New Testament, and when Jesus sends out 70 disciples to go and do gospel work, it's a direct reference to the world. Okay, so Jesus is making a reference to this, the whole world. Then you come to Genesis 11 and the story of the Tower of Babel and then languages come in. That's complicated. But when you come to Acts chapter 2, it's the undoing of Babel when the gospel is preached and understood in, in different languages. You still with me? Then you come to Genesis 12. This is where God concentrates on one man and one nation. And this is incredible, because what God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3, is this. He says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the first thing that we get, God tells Abraham. And in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, quoting that verse, Paul says, this is the gospel to all the Gentiles. So even though God is concentrating on one man and one, in, um, one nation, he's saying, actually, it's my heart for all the nations. All the families of the earth should be blessed. Okay, 
Rather than go through every book in the Old Testament, okay, which we could, we're going to go to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 starts off with this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know that's a reference to Jesus dying on the cross. And the whole psalm is about the crucifixion of Jesus. So verse 7, all who see me mock me. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them. So Psalm 22, 1000 BC, speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus, is saying Jesus dying on the cross is crucial. And then you come to verse 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Listen to this phrase. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over all the nations. In other words, the whole point of the cross, the whole point for Jesus dying there, is so that he will bring a people from all nations to worship him in glory in the future. That is Psalm 22. That is why Christ came. And I'd love to go through Psalm 67, Psalm 72, Psalm 86, Psalm 96, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 60, uh, Daniel 7. Loads of chapters in the Old Testament are all about God's heart for the world. So the first reason to be interested in the gospel going across the whole world is it's God's passion. It's the very heart of God. And if we're to be like God, we're to love the things that God loves. If we are to be actively involved in the same things as God is, then we must care about the Great Commission. And that is, if like, the overriding reason why we're concerned about the world, because that is God's heart, and it's centered in the death of Christ. The second reason is this. We should get involved in the Great Commission. It is the hope for the world. Now, three years ago, um, his nickname was Mad Max Hughes. Uh, Here's a picture of him just coming up. He died after a stunt to prove that the earth is flat. Okay, that was his desire. He, la- he made a um, homemade rocket, and he launched the rocket in the hope of showing the world that the earth was shaped like a frisbee. That was his aim. But it all went badly wrong. But he had a whole host of followers, including a man called uh, Mark Sargent. And Mark Sargent said this, He said that Mr. Hughes, Mad Max Hughes' death, was worth it to create awareness of the conspiracy theory of a, a globe. And he said, what are you willing to do if you believe in something so much? For me, flat earth is bigger than my friends and family and even my own life. I believe the truth is worth taking risks for. Well, he's right in that last sentence... But his truth is a flat earth. But what we have here in the Great Commission is something very different. And in in both Matthew 28 and Acts 1, you have the context of the solid fact, the reality of the resurrection. 
So in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He presented himself alive to them, that's the disciples, after his suffering by many proofs. And then in Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, Jesus is the risen Savior. Jesus has come alive again. And by virtue of that, he has been given all authority on matters of life and death. And the message of the Christian faith is this. It is the only hope for the world. And we can have absolute confidence in it. Luke the historian starts off the book of Acts with saying, look, the resurrection is real, and there are many, authorised version, infallible proofs. The resurrection really happened. It's robust. It's the only hope. No other religious leader has come back to life. So Muhammad is dead. Confucius is dead. Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, is dead. Zarathustra, Zoroasterism, is dead. But Jesus is alive. And we can't keep that news to ourselves. It is the only hope for mankind. Martin Luther said this, we were all mere beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. That's the reality. We have this message of salvation and it's the only hope for mankind. It's interesting, in, in the book of Romans chapter 1, Paul describes who Jesus is. He says he's declared to be the Son of God and he says, by the resurrection from the dead, this is, this is Romans 1 verses 4 and 5, and it goes on to say, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. In other words, Jesus is the risen Savior so that all nations will come to faith in him. Um, there's a, there's a, some of you might have come across this story. There's a remote Indian, uh, Indonesian uh, island which the Taliabo people lived on. The Taliabo people lived in fear of death, but their ancestors had told them about eternal life. But they were searching for eternal life, but never found it. And every time a member of their family died, their fear was realized. They used to keep the, the person who died in their house until only the bones were left. And this is the Taliabo in a remote Indonesian island. And then some missionaries came and proclaimed Jesus, the eternal son of God who died and rose again. And as a tribe, in one day, 100 people came to faith because they were searching for something and then they realized that Jesus Christ is the answer. That is the, the nations around the world. They're looking for an answer and we have that hope. We go simply because we have the message of hope based on the certainty of the resurrection. <clears throat> How are we doing? Third, oh dear, right, okay, we'll do this point and then we'll wish for the last two points. Thirdly, uh, why the Great Commission? It is a hallmark of obedience. Um, Jim Elliott, the great missionary, um, some of you know his story, in 1947 wrote to his parents 
And he said, missionaries are very human folks just doing what they are asked. Simply a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody. So missionaries aren't an elite bunch of Christians. The Great Commission is a task for everyone. And as you read both Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1, you get this command that is given not just to the 11 disciples remaining, it's given to the whole Christian community. It's easy sometimes to think, well, that's a task for those 11 elite. It's not. It's a command given to all Christians. And if you look at Matthew 28, this is what's happening. Jesus speaks to his disciples, verse 18, but he does so in Galilee, verse 16. That's important. So Jesus is giving this command in Galilee. But the 11 disciples had just been in Jerusalem. So why would Jesus get his 11 disciples who are all gathered in Jerusalem to go to Galilee when he could have given this command to them in Jerusalem? It's three days' journey from Jerusalem to Galilee. So he asks them to travel the 60, 70 miles from Jerusalem to Galilee. He also had said to the women in 28 verse 7 about being in Galilee. And we know this from Acts chapter 1 verse 15. There were 120 believers in Jerusalem. You still with me? We're also told that Jesus, when he had risen from the dead, appeared to 500 disciples, Christians, in one go. So this is what's happening. Jesus has risen from the dead and is in Jerusalem. Most of the Christians are probably in Galilee, the 500 plus. So Jesus takes his 11 disciples on this three-day journey from Jerusalem to Galilee and gathers them all together. And I think this is where Jesus appears to the 500. Some of them are doubting. We're told that in Matthew 28. But the disciples at this age aren't doubting because even Thomas has been won over. So the doubters are those people in Galilee. And then Jesus, having gathered these 500 plus people, says to them, go into all the world. Most of those 500, well, all those 500, you don't know their names. They are unknown Christians. But the God has given them the command. The, the command to go and make disciples of all nations doesn't know any hierarchy. It's not for the elite few. It's for all of us to be involved. And for some of us, we're starting in Jerusalem, starting where we are. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But as a, a body believers, we go into all the world. I'll just, when I come to points four and five, I'll just give the headings. Acts chapter eight, an African gets converted, the Ethiopian. Acts chapter nine, an Asian gets converted, the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 10, a European gets converted, Cornelius. Okay, so you have the, the big nation, continents of the world, Acts 8, 9, and 10. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius has this vision, and an angel um, tells um, Cornelius, We've heard your, God has heard your prayers. So the angel is, if like, there, and you think, well, the, the angel can, well, you might as well explain the gospel. 
But the angel says this, send for Peter, who is in Joppa. Get him to come. In other words, the angel who says, we've heard, God has heard your prayers, it's not the angel's job to communicate the gospel. That task has been given to us as disciples. So send for Peter from Joppa, and he will explain the gospel. And the, there is no plan B in terms of getting the gospel across the world. It's a task given to us as Christians. So what am I willing to do? Where am I willing to go to share the gospel? And where I am now, am I willing to share the good news of the Lord Jesus? Points four and five, and I'll just put the headings on, um, maybe. Uh, next point, point four, fourth reason uh, to share the gospel it simply is this, we have the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, D.L. Moody said, if God is your partner, D.L. Moody is a US evangelist, if God is your partner, make your plans big. In other words, we're not on our own in this task. Behold, I am with you always, Matthew 28, 20, to, even to the end of the age. Uh, Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, we go not on our own. Moses said, I won't go, Lord, unless you come with me. And Exodus chapter 33. Read things like Psalm 114, which shows the power there is when God is present with you. <clears throat> so I, can't, I haven't got time to tell you the story of John Gibson Payton, one of my favorite missionaries in the um, New Hebrides, South Sea Islands, who was not on his own. Just search for John Payton, angels, and, and you'll get the story, okay? We're not on our own in this task. We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. That's what King Asa said uh, to Chronicles 14. Okay, and the last point is this. Why the Great Commission? And this is, this is um, sobering, really. It's a heaven and hell issue. Both chapters, Matthew 28 and Acts 1, refer to Christ coming again. Matthew 28, even to the end of the age. Uh, Acts 1, verse 11. Jesus will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In fact, in Acts 1, Jesus says to the... the, no, why you, the angel says, why are, you, why are you looking up into heaven? Get on with the task. Jesus is coming back. Since I have started speaking... 3,000 people have gone into eternity. Since the start of the year, 6.4 million people have died. Six million of those are in a lost eternity. That's the urgency of the task. It's a heaven and hell issue. There is a program, and God has given us this door of opportunity to share the gospel. One day that door will close. Last week, we taught the boys and girls <coughs> the story of Noah. God shut the door of the ark, and when God shut the door, the opportunity had gone. One day, God will, if you like, shut the door of this world, the opportunity, gospel opportunity there is. We need to do the work of the gospel while it's still opportunity to do so. We need to be like the Lord Jesus. When he saw the crowds... 
He had compassion for them because they were helpless. They were as sheep without a shepherd. So why should we be involved in the Great Commission? Well, it's the very heart of God. It is the hope for the world. Um, it's a hallmark of obedience. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. It is a heaven and hell issue. Those are the two end destinations of all people. Uh, but let's fill ourselves with, that is why Christ came. <clears throat> Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verses 27 and 28, so that all nations in heaven will be worshipping that crucified, risen Savior.